It's Monday, January 24th, and this is Market Call. I'm Dan Nathan. I'm joined, as always, by Guy Adami, and on Mondays by the indomitable Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting here. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow, and of course, Open Exchange because they manage virtual meetings that matter. Huge day for the market here, guys. We just got to kind of get into it, man. We'll put 30 minutes up on the clock here. Huge week also when you think about that Fed meeting that we know is happening starting tomorrow. And we're going to hear from Fed Chair Powell on Wednesday. And we have some massive tech earnings, big ones. As Carter's been saying, they shoot the generals last. Well, we're going to hear what they have to say and how markets react to that guidance that they report. Guy Adami, welcome, brother. You're down in Florida. You're at an industry conference here, an investment conference. What's the word on the street right now? Because things are pretty ugly here in the markets today. Well, there's the buzzes. What's going on? Does the Fed have it wrong? Is their Fed misstep? They're going to reverse course. What's going on in crypto? I mean, everybody seems to have questions. Not a lot of people have answers, and I'm not suggesting we've had the answers, but we've been talking about a lot of the things that have come into fruition over the last few trading sessions. We've been talking about this stuff for the last couple of months, quite frankly, and now here we are. Carter talks about shooting the generals last. Well, I don't know if Netflix is a general, but it's certainly lieutenant. They obviously shot that last week, and now we're seeing some of the pain coming into the names that we talk about all the time, that F-Mega complex, as you say. So it's a fascinating day. We're going to look at charts, but... Right now, everybody's trying to figure out you know, where the floor is. And quite frankly, doesn't appear to be one yet. Yeah. Well, Carter, I mean, listen, you know, we've sounded like broken records talking about the concentration of the major indices, about six or seven names. But we've also been highlighting at the same time what Guy called like Netflix, a $200 billion market cap company as a lieutenant. Maybe it was a colonel or a captain. I don't know, Guy Adami. But the point here is that we've been seeing SaaS names. We've been talking about it since November when Adobe and when Salesforce sold off 10% after their earnings and their guidance, what that meant for some of the broader names. You know, that same period of time, we saw Snapchat get absolutely murdered after their results. Snapchat is down 60% from its highs just a few months ago. So we're seeing it across a lot of big names. Now, Carter, what is this? We're seeing a broadening out of weakness that we've seen in recent tech IPOs, in SPACs, in meme stocks. I mean, the list goes on and on. What's your take here? Well, I mean, what it gets down to is, and these adages that you refer to, they become, they're remembered, right? They become popular. Don't catch the falling knife or don't fight the Fed or first loss, best loss. And of course, shoot the generals last has two meanings. In a war, of course, the guys up in the front with the bayonets are stabbing each other. But if one side starts to win, they finally cross over and get the generals who are hanging around in the back. In the market, the generals were General Electric, General Motors, General Mills, General Radiator. They were the marquee names. We don't have the names generally where we have Apple, Microsoft, Google, and so forth. And so under a period of great duress, you start to see pressure first in weak stocks, high valuation or low quality, and it ultimately gets around. And we're seeing it now in Apple. We're seeing it in Google. We're seeing it in Microsoft. And that's a normal sequencing. And so to your question, where does it end? I mean, the truth is it can always get worse. And uh, one thing, uh, just for the long only crowd, there are those moments where the phrase, there's nothing to be lost by postponing all new buying is in effect. And this is that kind of moment. You don't have to rush in and say, hey, this is cheap. Let me take a shot at this. Just stand aside and let things settle. They always do. But the point is, And this is the problem. Big earnings from big tech coming out. Now, what possibly could they say that makes these stocks pop 
five, six, seven, 10%, not much. And even if they pop a little bit, but what if, right? It's a little light, a little weak, a little disappointing, a little bit not in line with expectations. You can get asymmetry to the downside, what we've seen in Netflix. And you start getting that out of Apple and Microsoft, you've got meaningful downside still in the S&P. Yeah. So before we hit the S&P, which is down about 11% on the year, and the NASDAQ is down about 15.5%, you brought the Russell 3000. Oftentimes, when we refer to the Russell index, we're talking about the Russell 2000, which is an index of small cap stocks, which at times over the last year, Apple's market cap has been equal to or greater than, not after this sharp drop that it's been. Talk to us about the Russell 3000 and why you're looking at that here and now. Right. So what's important about this, this is the entire U.S. equity market, 98% of the investable capital versus the S&P, which of course is, while large, not all. And there are two circumstances that are different about this chart, and we'll see them in the S&P. The Russell 3000 could never make the new high. Mm-hmm. You have a double top and you have a break in trend. Now look at the next chart. And this is important. The next chart shows the same double top, but we've already violated the October low. So if you go back and forth fairly quickly, if we toggle, yes, we have a double top and a break in trend. We have a double top and now we're through the prior low. And the issue is, does the S&P do the same thing? Uh, and we have S&P charts. So maybe we should jump right to those just to make a point and look at the slight difference. The S&P is now right at those October lows. And the presumption is it too will break those lows. Yeah, Dan, real quick. It's interesting that Carter mentions the October low in the S&P. October 4th, I believe, was the day it made an intraday low of 42.78. And here we are basically trading right around there. So this is an extraordinarily important chart. Carter had talked about those double tops literally for months leading up to this. They proved to be obviously prescient in this call. And now this level in the S&P is critical We'll see how we close today. I mean, I don't, I'm not, a, you know, I didn't bring my magic lamp or my crystal ball with me to Florida, but my sense is we're going to defend this really hard over the next couple of days. It'll be interesting to see what happens as we get earnings later in the week. Carter, why do you think it is that, you know, Guy and I and, and you also, we have, you know, no shortage of really smart strategists at our disposal that we speak to on Fast Money or we speak to on Market Call or on our podcast, that sort of thing. Why is it that most of them really, you know, think about the fundamentals going forward and they kind of justify, you know, valuations that are being paid? But when you're looking at charts, you're doing it devoid of those sorts of inputs here and they seem to work. I mean, that you've been flagging this uptrend in the S&P 500 as something that was very, vulnerable, the same way you were talking about the support in the Russell 2000 over the last nine to 12 months as very vulnerable. What is it that you see that the fundamentals are not incorporating right here? Well, I mean, it's such a big subject. I guess, remember, the the original form of securities analysis, if you will, was charting, right? The CFA Society started in 1962. The whole CAPM model or, or the idea that you can discount future cash flow First of all, who can determine what three to five year cash flow is? And then who can determine what interest rates are going to be? And then assign a multiple to that cash flow. It's all very gray. The oldest form of trying to buy and sell is charting. They have documents going back more than 150 years in the rice market in China, which is where we get candlesticks. But the issue is this. When you're in a period of great strength, think about coming off an 09 low or the COVID low. Correlations almost go to one. Everything is bouncing. Well, guess what happens on the way down? It's the same thing. On a day like today, there are only two stocks in the S&P 100 that are up. And obviously, defensive names are down less than other names, but everything is down. That's what happens when you're in an epic moment, a day or days where you're surging or collapsing. 
Yeah, well, that's a good point. I mean, you just use the term epic. And, you know, like there was nothing, I think, that, you know, as far as the charts were saying or just the sentiment in the market that said that we were about headed for an epic period. But, you know, when you look at this, you know, we got a guy, you got to weigh in on this, though. So we have a, a little slide here that says through the floorboards. And our main man, Carter Braxtonworth, it was probably Kim, came up with a pretty good meme or whatever you would call it. But it was talking about the number of stocks that are off their 52-week highs. 10% of the stocks and the Russell 3000, 2561, we're down more than 10%. 1800 down more than 20%. 1260 down more than 30%. The list goes on and on. There's nearly 500 stocks that are down more than 60% from their highs. What does that mean to you, the breadth to the downside guy? Well, it means that finally, I think the market is catching up to what we saw over the last few months. The fact that underneath the surface, there were certain stocks telling a story but the broader market had not participated in that. Now it's all starting to come to fruition. By the way, I think you would submit, and, and Carter as well, that this is probably the healthiest possible thing for a market that's basically gone up unabated, maybe you know outside of October of 2018, since 2008-09. So I think this is a healthy thing. By the way, Tom Lee has talked about this on our podcast. He's talked about it on some of the shows that we do. And Mike Wilson as well has talked about the need for this type of action in the first half of the year to sort of set the framework for a back half rally. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. Right. But here, Carter, I got a question for you here now. If you think about, you know, we're, we can all agree that it's healthy. It's taking some froth out of the market. It's re-rating some stocks that were trading at multiples that they just wouldn't, shouldn't have been at, especially when you consider the decelerating kind of growth environment we're likely to be in for the next year or so after such a big ramp in 2021. I guess my question for you is how quickly can you expect, you know, these 1,200 stocks that are down more than 50% from their 52-week highs and in many cases all time highs, how quickly can you expect them to snap back? You know, is it a tradable sort of situation? Because Guy and I get these questions all the time on fundamentals. I love the story about this stock six months ago when it was much higher. Now it's much cheaper. And I think I'm all in right here. So how quickly do you expect pullbacks or, or you know, bounce backs? Yeah, but not quickly, meaning here's the thing. This is much more insidious now, right? It's starting to, how would we say it? Disillusionment is a good thing. It's called the breaking down of illusions. Yes, we don't want to have illusions. So here's the first illusion, that crypto is somehow a currency and a store of value. So that's being wiped out and sort of reconciled. as It's not a currency. It's not a store of value. It might be a great gambling chip, but there was an illusion that banks should be owned and overweighted in financials because rates are going higher. It's an illusion that one should be in small caps because they're cyclical and beta. Listen, the problem is that once you start to have losses that amount to more than 6 and 8 and 10%, and people are going to get their statements, think there's the broad swath of public that's not watching the market. We're doing it for a living. We're doing it. It's a passion. And there are people who are just going to get their statements. Well, I've lost some money here. That's what starts to accelerate the selling and not cause a bounce. Yeah, that's a great segue to a tweet from the CEO of SoFi, Anthony Noto, who Guy and I both think very highly of. I'm actually a shareholder of the stock, but tweeted this morning, and I think this is really interesting, and Guy, I'd love to get your take on it. He said, how will the NASDAQ's year-to-date 14% decline, the S&P 500's 9% decline, and the lost wealth effect impact the Fed's decision on higher interest rate moves to offset inflation? Will they see the market decline impacting consumer spending and then inflation? And this comes after a period where we've had had a rough patch of consumer data. We've talked about it a lot. Guy, you've said very clearly that you think the Fed is doing the right thing right now. They're just late. 
Oh, I mean, they're late by years, number one. But this tweet by Anthony Noto is something that I've said I want to say for years, and it sort of synthesizes a lot of things that I've said. Consumer spending, basically, you overlay a chart of the S&P 500, and as long as people feel the economy's doing well, vis-a-vis the market, understanding that the two have nothing in common, people will spend money. On days like today, when the evening news will lead with the stock market, by the way, for the wrong reasons, because obviously it's lower, people will start to question their spending habits. And we saw it in 2018 from the October into December when consumer spending stopped on a dime when the market went down close to 20% over the course of two and a half months. And I think this is exactly right. Now, the problem is, I'm not sure the Fed is going to tie all these things into what the market's doing. Uh, James Gorman from Morgan Stanley talked about it. The market's going to do what it wants to do stay the course. So I don't want to be Jerome Powell right now, but quite frankly, he put himself in this position. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, listen, they had to say that they're going to fight inflation and focus on that more than, I guess, what would happen to the stock market in a rising rate environment. You know, the two-year note got ahead of what they're willing to do, I guess. It's, it was north of 1%. It's a little below that. But Carter, talk to me or talk to us about rates here. The 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. This is one that I think a lot of investors have been looking at as a better sign of maybe future growth relative to the two-year, which is really maybe mapping what the Fed may or may not do with Fed funds rate here. You were calling for this thing to come back, back to maybe 1.5 last week. We had that breakout. Do you think we're going to see a false breakout? And what does yields coming in in this environment say to you about what the Fed is likely to do here? Well, probably on a moment-to-moment basis, it's just the way gold is very stable. It's a safety trade, right? And so you're seeing people, of course, buy, buy treasuries. But I think the, the two things that matter is that right now, we are effectively where we were a year ago. Yes, it's been a great trajectory down then back up. But at the end of Q1 of 2020, the 10-year money was at one spot seven seven. And here we are at one spot seven seven. The consensus of much higher rates, I don't think is going to be accurate. Yeah. Well, Guy, I mean, listen, you and I have gone back and forth on this and you've had directionally a really great call for you know 18 months now on yields. What would your take be if we did see the 10-year U.S. Treasury get back below that downtrend, right, from about a year and a half ago pre-pandemic and work its way back to that 1.4 level, that uptrend? What would it say to you about what's going on in the markets and how do you think equities would feel about that? So Danny Moses talks about this. And look, again, I thought 2%. We got somewhat close. I guess we touched up to 1.89. I don't know if we got a 1.9 for it. It doesn't matter. Carter, it's probably going to wind up being right for a number of different reasons, not least of which when markets go lower like this, you're going to have this flight to quality in the form of yields. Whether that's justified or not doesn't matter. And if rates were to fall precipitously from here, I don't think that augurs particularly well because what it says is, you know what? slowing economy, rising inflation, the stagflationary environment that the Federal Reserve has nothing in their quiver to combat it with. And if if two-year yields stay stubborn here, and I think they will, you're going to see a flattening of the yield curve. And one thing I've said, I thought two tens would go to about 30 or so basis points, and I thought it would happen somewhere between 145, 150 to 180 or so in the 10-year. So what does it mean? Well, 
Lower yields typically mean good things for the market. This time, I'm not certain that's going to be the case, Dan. Yeah, so just to put a bow on this, what do your guys take, Card? I'd love to hear you first here. If the Fed, if Fed Chair Powell at his meeting that starts tomorrow when he speaks to the world on Wednesday, if they were to take a dovish turn because the stock market is down and quite violently in just a short period of time, would you think that's bullish for equities three to six months out or would you think it's bearish for equities? I'd go bearish. I mean, it means that they've, they. I mean, what they would be confessing, it's true anyway, is they have no clue. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. These are the guys when we were going down in 08, Paulson, I believe, right? A former Goldman guy who said, oh, nothing wrong with the market. I mean, think about Moody's and the big credit agencies. They didn't downgrade any of the paper until it was at the low. Look, they're humans and they don't have any more idea than anybody else. We all have certain tools. And then after that, it's still, it's still speculating. And so it, were they to do that, I think you would have much, much more as an individual, much more reason for concern and caution were they to stay the course. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. I'll just push back for one second. When you think about the access to data that they have and just the lens in which they, they look through things. I mean, listen, I really believe this. And Guy, I'd love to get your take here, man. It's like, listen, I think that this fighting inflation is happening with you know 40-year highs in the CPI. We just had that 7% at all-time highs. I mean, listen, I can't imagine that we are not going to see inflationary pressures abate over the next you know three to six to nine months or so, and that we're going to have a CPI cut in half a year out. So to me, I actually think that they've probably got all turned around here. And, you know, the likelihood of meaningfully higher rates, given where the Fed's balance sheet is and their ability to roll stuff off, I just don't see it, Guy. I mean, just uh, help me figure this out. No, listen, and you're probably going to be right spot on, Dan. And they probably retired the word transitory right at the top. And that's something you've said for a while. But, you know, we talked about this during the prior administration. And unfortunately, I think it's happening now. The prior administration, their report card for how well they were doing was the stock market. Full stop. They said it. And they needed lower rates. They needed a dovish Fed to help that. And they got it. Now, this administration, again, whether it's justified or not, I think their report card is coming under the auspices of inflation because everybody's talking about it. And if you remember, the first thing that Jerome Powell said after his renomination was, guess what? Retiring transitory. We're going to fight inflation which, you know what, has surprised all of us. I don't think that's coincidental. So we'll see what happens. But to Carter's point, if they kowtow now on the back of a stock market that's just correcting, albeit in a violent way today, I think maybe for a couple of days that's bullish for the stock market for the next three to six months, which was your original question. I think that's really bad. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's what we did see. You know, the market was selling off into his reconfirmation hearing a couple of weeks ago. And we did we did rally off of what was still hawkish commentary. I think the market, at least participants, like the fact that they're at least going to kind of keep an eye towards that credibility or whatever uh, credibility they have left. All right, let's talk about this one, because this risk asset, gold, is one that I know, Guy, you have been bullish of for a long time. Carter, you're making a bullish technical case here. You got a couple of charts. Give it to us. And I'd love to hear, Guy, your fundamental take here? So just a couple of things, just a, a sort of a point that can't be refuted. Almost every major drawdown in the S&P 500, going back to 1929, 20% plus, gold has been positive in every one except one instance. But either way, it's a great hedge against general market weakness. And now we pile on the fact that you've got Bitcoin on the ropes and gold can stand alone as an asset and a store of value. So as to the chart, I mean, talk about tension, talk about converging lines is what that is called, of course, which means we're getting into 
break out or break down. And one could say, yeah, you should have drawn a red arrow or if it's going down. I don't think so. If you look at the next chart, we can maybe go back and forth. This is a longer term. And this circumstance is very similar to 2011, 2013 setup. In 2013, 10-year yields went from one six to three and gold collapsed. So if this analog were to be the case, then rates are going meaningfully higher and gold is about to collapse. I don't think we're anything like that. And so, sure, while rates can go higher, they are not likely to go meaningfully higher. And here's the problem. Were they to do something similar to what they did in 2013? <clears throat> Stock market, the sell-off now is just a preview of coming attractions. Yeah, Guy, what's your take here, bud? Because I know that you've been kind of reloading. It's been in a pretty healthy downtrend from the summer of 2020. You know, and Carter just mentioned Bitcoin. We're going to hit the charts later there. You know, there was this kind of inverse relation between Bitcoin really got off the mat in the summer of 2020 and gold had just come off of all-time highs. And it's been in that downtrend. You see all that tension here. What's your take on gold? And I'll just tell you, we had a VIX about a week ago that was a little south of 20. And now it's 35 or so. Mm -hmm. And gold vol in the options market was really cheap here. I'm just curious uh, your take there, because that got me interested in buying calls or call spreads in the GLD, the ETF that tracks it here, because if everything Carter said is correct, that's a low vol way to play a sell-off in the broad market. No, I appreciate that. If you toggle back for a second, if you give me just a minute or so, think about what's been going on in the world. You've just said Bitcoin has effectively been cut in half. Not effectively, it has been cut in half since it's all-time high. That's number one. Number two, the inflation concerns are real. I mean, just see it in the numbers. Number three, we haven't talked about yet, but it's front and center. I mean, you have some serious geopolitical risks, not least of which in the form of what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, and now theoretically what could happen if the United States and NATO inserts themselves. Just a lot of crazy things going on. Oh, by the way, gold should have done extraordinarily well, and it's not. With all that said, and I think Carter would agree with this, you don't have to believe any of this stuff. Just believe this chart. It's going to happen one way or another. You're going to get a crescendo. It's going to come in the form of this pennant formation that has been forming for quite some time. I agree with Carter. I think it's going to correct itself on the upside in a major way. But I can understand why people would say gold should be doing better. It's going to fail. We'll see. Let the charts decide. So I'm with Carter on this one. All right. Let's talk about Bitcoin, because, you know, to me, you know, my view very simply was that any incremental dollar that might be going to gold that for that perceived store of value is likely to be going to Bitcoin. But the problem we have here over the last year that Bitcoin has been cut in half on two occasions, it's not done going down or maybe it is. I don't know the moment in which it stops. But, you know, at this point, the drawdown from that all time high just a couple months ago is greater than the one from last last spring into the summer. Carter, I drew the lines here, man. Give me your, this is a one year on the Bitcoin. What does it say to you? Are we likely to find support at that kind of double bottom low from last summer near 29,000 or so? Is that going to be a little bit overdone at that point? Well, at least we'll get there. But I mean, here's the thing. The sell-off is, is within the, in the lifespan of Bitcoin quite ordinary. While that sounds crazy to say, it's Bitcoin has had a 90% peak to trough decline. It's had two that are in the 70s and 80s. And so while we're down here 50, 60, there's every possibility there's more to go. Using a prior low or a prior high is always a reference point to start with. The issue with that always is when they don't hold, what's next? Then you look at lower levels and try to find your way and to some extent, find your way in the dark. Here's the issue. Back to this. When things are in real route time, 
correlations go to one. It doesn't matter whether this is a small cap stock or it's Bitcoin. It's under pressure and the day-to-day, hour-to-hour path is lower. Okay, zooming out a little bit, Carter, you're going to say major chart foul here. I have a five-year chart of Bitcoin. It is not a long chart. I just love seeing the violence of the move on a relative basis this last year versus what we saw. It almost looks cute back there in 2017 and, and you know, at the high up there. It was a frenzy back then, and it lost you know a good bit of its value, I think over 70-some percent or so. What's your take of this chart? When you look at that support level we just talked about from last summer and you see that huge air pocket between the 2017 high, the breakout level in 2020, how is this thing going to shake out just looking at the charts? Well, certainly it gets to the the red line you've drawn, which is the immediate low. And then why not? Why can't it? I mean, the point is that if something can drop 30% fairly quickly, that doesn't really happen in stable operations businesses, it can drop 50, it can drop 60. Why can't it drop 70? And that's when you're in free fall, you're in free fall. And that's what this is. There's no other way to characterize it. Well, Guy Adami is going to be, he's the man on the street. He's down in Miami and he's going to be talking to some major, major um, crypto people over the next couple of days here on the stage at Context 360 here. Guy, what's your take in general? Like you're at an institutional investor conference or more people talking about crypto, which is a $2 trillion or less asset class relative to, we know that the equity market here is $3 trillion. Is there, is there just, do we spend too much time on this asset class? You know my take. I just think, again, it's like some really sexy, you know, high valuation tech stock. That's really the way I think about it from a sentiment standpoint. I'm just curious what you're hearing down there. I don't think we spend too much time on it. And this morning when I was downstairs just milling around and then obviously during Brian Kelly hosted a panel, People were talking about it. They want to know. You know, they were asking Brian Kelly, where do you see this going? I think BK would submit that this level, this 31,000 level or so, I think you said 29, but ish, makes perfect sense for it to bounce. And we've said this dozens of times, and, and I think the crypto community agrees with it. It's not a flaw, the volatility in crypto. It's just a characteristic. Well, we're seeing it in spades. My concern all along has been, unfoundedly, quite frankly, is the fact that I thought crypto would sort of lead the way with these broader meme stocks or some of these high valuation, high growth stocks that if crypto were sell off meaningfully, we'd say a meaningful sell off in the stock market. Well, finally, now that's come into fruition. And we'll see if crypto finds a bottom, what it means for the equity market. You know what? You've had a great call on that. I mean, that it goes back to what I think Carter was saying, that in sell-offs like this, you see correlations go to one. We know that. We've been in some very big ones over the course of our careers here. All right, really quickly, I'll just make one point. We have a chart of Ethereum. This is the one that I've really been leaning into here. Last summer, I think, you know, in and around that kind of 1750 to 2000 level was really good support. That's where I was kind of getting long again after buying some a bit higher. I like the levels here. I like it getting bound. It probably tests those lows, but that's just my quick take here. All right, let's go to these big tech earnings this week. Mm -hmm. We have Tesla. We have Microsoft tomorrow night. We have Tesla on Wednesday and we have Apple on Thursday. That's kind of the main event. The implied movement, you know, for Microsoft tomorrow is 5% plus or minus in either direction. The stock has only moved on 2%, about 2% on average over the last four quarters. 
quarter is Tesla implying about a seven and a half percent one day move in either direction and Apple about four percent. Carter, rip us through this Microsoft chart here. I think it should not be lost on anyone that this company announced a $70 billion acquisition of a gaming company last week. So here we are now. We're getting close to correction territory. I know you don't really care a whole heck of a, a lot about that. At its lows today, it was down six percent. This is the second largest market cap company in the U.S. It got very near that uptrend that's been in place for the last year and very near those October lows. What's your take on Microsoft into the print? Right. Well, it's it's identical. And here's the thing. It's a non-answer, but it is the answer. There is no difference in this chart and so many that you would pull up, which is to say, yes, it's not one of these high flyers like Square, which is down 50, 60. But the point is, its day-to-day action is identical to so many others. Do we find support? We are right at its October <coughs> low. I think that the problem remains that it's asymmetrical. What do they say? They say something, woof, thank goodness. And so it's up two, three, four percent. But think about if they say something that's not good. You have you could not a Netflix type drop of 20, but you can get a seven or eight. And so going into earnings, I would take a, a risk averse approach. As a long only player, I'd I'd buy puts the minimum. Fair enough. All right, Guy, you've been all over this Tesla call into their earnings last quarter. You were saying we're going to see a breakout. And not only did we get a breakout, it went up like 25% in a straight line, became a trillion-dollar market cap company. Here we are. We're through that that line. I guess it was that 900 sort of level. Caught a little support at Carter's 150-day moving average. That's what we use here on Market Call Charts when Carter's with us. What is your take into this print? We already have deliveries. Will they guide? Listen, you and I don't know what they're going to do. We don't know if Musk is going to be on there. What's your take on this thing? Is it broken now that it's back below prior resistance? Yeah, prior support now resistance. Well, if you're looking, Carter's smart to put the 150. I mean, that has been the line of demarcation for quite some time. I mean, you just go back and look at what it's done around the 150-day moving average, and you can draw your own conclusions. I look at this now and say, wow, you know, that double top around the 1,200 level is absolutely intact. It's not a perfect one, but it's close enough. And the fact that we've now breached that prior all-time high, which we have talked about at length back from February – is obviously concerning. I'll tell you how you trade it. You wait for them to report and see what it does. And if you have this downdraft, I mean, you could potentially get a downdraft to levels we saw over the summer. I think that's where you get back in. And quite frankly, Dan, you know those levels. It's probably in the high sevens, low 800s. On the flip side, we could be talking about the fact that once again, Tesla defended the 150-day. But you're flipping a coin right now. And to me, that's not how you want to trade these names. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, you know, we're going to talk about Apple now on Thursday. And by then, we're going to have a lot more information about the Fed and, and just how low market participants are willing to sell some of these stocks down. Carter, we got to talk about this one because, listen, you know, one of the things that I keep bringing up, and Guy has pointed this out on numerous occasions, that Apple is a stock, despite being the largest equity on the planet, over the last five years has had numerous 30% peak to trough declines, okay, from all-time highs here. We're in the throes of maybe a 15% decline. Guy had been talking about this kind of breakout level from a few months ago in that kind of high 150s range. Well, we kind of are there now and we have this little pocket down to the uptrend. You see the 150 day around 153 or so. What is your take just purely on the technicals? And I got to hear, Guy, how you're trading this one into earnings after that on the fundamentals. I think, again, notice how it's so similar to whether it's Tesla or Microsoft that's under pressure and there's 
There's no moment-to-moment action that is specific to Microsoft. People have margin calls. People are running books that they're de-risking and so forth. And what we do know is reference points matter, and you can try to use the 150-day here. But again, going into earnings, if I were a long-only player, I would be buying puts. Guy Dami, you're a long-short player. What do you well, do? I mean, this is, listen, we've been telling people this is the level you've been waiting for. So if you haven't forayed into the name, this what sort of 156, 157 level, which is that first horizontal green line from that prior all-time high in September, makes a lot of sense. I think if you're looking to start a position, but buying a third here, there's nothing wrong with it. The next level comes in the form of that trend line, which is 140-ish, if I'm not mistaken. And to Carter's point, chances are we may see it, but you know, this is what you've been waiting for. And one thing I say all the time, everybody always says, Dan, and I know we have to get out of here. I want to buy stocks lower. I'm waiting for the pullback. And one thing I say in, in response to that is it will never be for the reasons that you thought and will always look scarier than you've envisioned it. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. But if you take emotion out of the equation, this is one of the better entry points we've seen for quite some time for Apple. Yeah, and it's hard not to be emotional sometimes. I'm just going to throw some some numbers out that right now, this is going on. If you're not looking at your screens the way we do all day long with our fax set machines up, I'm looking at NVIDIA down nearly 10%, AMD down nearly 8%, Apple down 4%. Again, on a $2.5 trillion market cap, this is serious. Microsoft down five and a quarter. You know, a firm down 14%. As we get into the, the, the fintech world, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm Bank America down 5%. We haven't seen those sorts of moves in banks in a very long time here. So Tesla's finally given up. They're shooting the generals here. Carter, take us out, at least on the commentary. And Guy, you're going to take us out thanking all the people who make this possible. But how do you kind of trade in an environment like this where we have a bunch of events? You're saying sit on your hands a little bit because it's not likely to resolve itself today, tomorrow, next week. That's right. I mean, if you think about the greatest routes in the history of markets, 1987 or 1929, before the big day, they were down 15 and 20%. Right? And so this is an instance where today's weakness, the precondition for it was weakness. And uh, capitulation is a hard thing to figure out. It just does not feel capitulatory. If we start getting drops and gaps, as we've seen to the extent of so many stocks, and Netflix in particular, because it's a big name, if you get a few drops and gaps out of an Apple or Microsoft, that will get you towards capitulation. But we don't have it yet. Well, listen, I want to thank Carter for joining us. It's so important to have him with us. An incredible work he does. If you're not following him on Twitter, as I've said a hundred times, you're doing Twitter wrong. Carter B. Worth on Twitter. And thanks for tuning in to Market Call Charts. Today's episode was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Fact set and open exchange. If you like what you saw, be sure to tune in every Monday, typically at 11. We did a special time today. Dan and I will be back tomorrow for Market Call Macro. And then again on Thursday for Market Call Street Research. We'll see you all then. See you then. 